You're listening to Ink Studs, and my guest this week is Noah Van Skyver. Uh, Noah's latest work, um, we were just kind of listing it off a couple minutes ago, and it's 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 a lot even within the last year. Um, I think the most recent thing is One Dirty Tree, which I think is out in stores now, or coming out in yeah. May. Um, they sent me an ARC, and it says October 8th on the side. So... I, yeah, I think it's out. I don't have a copy of it yet. I'm still, I'm still waiting for my copy to arrive. Um, but they'll get here eventually. I know they're in stores because I get, I get tagged in a lot of posts on Instagram. So people have them. 
Uh, and then your other recent work is uh, Blamo number 10, uh, which came yep. out in the summer, I'm going to say. Yeah. And Constant Companion, a sketchbook collection from Fanographics FU Press, uh, which came out within the last in couple July. of months. July. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I had a friend at San Diego, and I was kicking myself for not getting him to pick one up for me. Uh, yeah. And then, as well, Fonte Book 3 came out in the spring, I'm going to say. Wait, when did you say it came out? In the spring. No, that's in my Sorry, you're, you cut up there. Um, I, think it, I think the third Fonte Bukowski book comes out in the fall. Oh, it's not. Or, a I mean, in, uh, yeah. And then in January, you have the biography... Uh, of Eugene V. Debs uh, from Verso Books uh, with writer Paul Buell. Um, is there anything I'm forgetting? Um, no, that's it. Just <laughs> <laughs> listed off an entire shelf of books. <laughs> well, it's it's more than Joe Matt's entire lives. So I know. know. <laughs> oh my God, you're right. <laughs> He's just sitting somewhere. That was kind of mean, guys. And then back to like listing his DVDs on eBay. Um, no, I'm sorry, Joe. We love you. Um, you actually commissioned a drawing from him, which was kind of amazing. I know. I can't believe I gave him $100. I said, hey, Joe, I just wrote him on Facebook and said, I'll give you $100 for just like a sketch, just like a little drawing. He's like, okay. And he sent me this painting. It's like amazing. Uh, and I have it in my bedroom now. I don't think my girlfriend likes it very much, but I like it a lot. <laughs> I, I like how when he did that, people are like, oh, this is awesome. I want to get something. He's like, I'm going to do this ever again for anyone. Uh, I know. <laughs> I hope you feel special, I, Noah. Yeah. So as as the um, the tradition is, getting into the interview, I sat down, spent the last couple of days. Um, I didn't read all your work, but I read the most recent, the two Fontes, the Constant Companion, the One Dirty Tree, um, the Blamo 10. Um, I'd read Johnny Appleseed last year, uh, so I didn't reread yeah. that. Yeah, um, yeah, that's okay. Um, I didn't, I don't count, like, that's not Van Skyver Canyon because it wasn't written by me. No, and, and actually, I said in a review, like, it kind of bums me out reading those. I'm going to be really blunt and honest. Um, yeah. Because I think you shouldn't be working with a writer. Um, <laughs> it, it, you don't, you know, it's like, and, and I kind of get the, the, the reason for like making money and stuff, but I also like when I see someone who just, it doesn't need to happen. Yeah, well, that's fine. I understand. So. Um, the interesting thing about that book, though, is that you would never know it, but that book actually sells extremely well. <laughs> <laughs> the Johnny Appleseed book is like, Every it's like in every library. It's in all the schools and everything. It's done. It's done really well, but it, it's gotten like zero press in the comics, uh, you know, media. Um, that's funny. I'm I'm not surprised too because it is a good book. Like Paul is very good at the socialist history stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you're doing a book about is it like late 18th century or a 19th century? I can't remember. Uh, oh, figure. The one I'm yeah. The Joseph Smith book I'm doing? No, no, no. The Johnny Appleseed. When does it take place? 
Oh, oh, I think it's nineteenth century. I could be wrong. I don't remember I to look at it. But that's kind of your 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 bag at this point. Yeah. It's like, oh, I love love that stuff. Yeah. It's like Seth does the thirties, and you do like the nineteenth century. Oh, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> and we're done. Um, no. <laughs> I don't know what appeals to me about that, you know, that era. I, I think it's just visually, it's really interesting because uh, it's like they're trying so hard to be proper and everything's supposed to be like beautiful, but it's also they're like living in their own filth. Yeah. So it's a really interesting contrast. Well, I mean, you, you mentioned a second ago the Joseph Smith thing, and I wonder about how much of this yeah. is because, and, and this is coming through, especially in your more recent work of kind of resolving um, that family cultural connection. To Mormonism and how that really is like a 19th century thing um, mm-hmm. and, it, and it seems like you're kind of working through some stuff there because it is a big part of your identity um, yeah. that you're trying not to let define yourself but it is kind of under there yeah well I think it's something that started um, when I was doing uh, Blamo 9 and I did that story about uh, being at White River Junction, and I was thinking a lot about my Mormon past. Yeah. That's where it started, and I was reflecting so much on my life at that time. Uh, I just, like, started picking apart that thing, and that's why I did uh, One Dirty Tree afterwards. And then as I was interviewing my mom a lot about our history in the church, I started to get really interested in, like, well, what the hell was that? Like, what what is that religion all about? Um. And so this, this book is really just for me to figure that kind of thing out, to figure out what, you know, where it's all started the and uh, what's behind it all. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's just the next step after something like One Dirty Tree. It's like, oh, let's go back to the very beginning and I'm going to learn everything I can about this. So that's what I've been doing. So you're connecting your own familial history kind of interweaving yeah. with the Joseph Smith story, not just a straight up, like Joseph Smith saw some rocks. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. Well, no, it, it is just Joseph Smith. And then, you know, I'll do another book at some point about my family leaving the church and that kind of my hot date era of my life when um, I was trying to be cool. I was trying to like shake that whole like young Mormon boy uh, thing that I'd grown up with and hang out with a lot of shady teenagers yeah. Through working on, on One Dirty Tree and kind of getting in a, um, a more of an understanding of your family or just kind of revisiting your family, um, and I'm interested in that process because I, I can see like there's a lot of trauma for you with your childhood and adolescence where <clears throat> yeah, it, does. it seems it like you want to block out as much as possible. Um, and so I'm wondering like the challenges of wanting to take this book on uh, and if that kind of was a struggle to do as a book in itself. Well, you know, it wasn't going to be a a book. So what happened with this, with Wondery Tree is that I had a Patreon that I was using to serialize Fonte Bukowski too. And when I finished that, I wanted to keep the Patreon, but I didn't know, I didn't really have anything that I wanted to work on. And that's the only reason why I had the Patreon in the first place was to serialize, you know, a graphic novel and people could pay to, to watch it as it was being written. Mm-hmm. And so I, I uh, started a, 
just doing stories about my childhood and, you know, this relationship I was in when I was 29 and uh, just like doing that stuff. And there was no structure to it. It was just different memories that I had. And a lot of them were just the pages of me sitting behind the desk, just talking about things. And then um, I had, and I had no plans on, on ever printing that stuff. And then Igor from Italy, he was, he, started a new publishing company called Abumov. And he was like, Hey, will you submit a book for this publisher that I have? Um, and I was just like, I don't really have anything. I've been doing this, this book on my Patreon or this series of comics. And I could try and structure some kind of a story for you out of that stuff. And so that's what I did. Like I, I did that. And that was like two years ago. And then it came out in Italy and people were like, what is this book you have in Italy? Was, was that ever coming out in English? And I didn't really feel comfortable about doing it. And, uh, but I, you know, I remember I had talked to, uh, I'm, I know I'm rambling so much right now, but like, that's all right. <laughs> I, I had, uh, had a conversation with Tom Kaczynski at Uncivilized some years back and he wanted me to do a, a book for them. And so I just wrote to him and said, Hey, I have this book that I did in Italy. Maybe you could do the English version of it. And he agreed and yeah, he put it out. I still don't feel comfortable with it really being out there. And it's one of those horrible things you, you know, you can't read reviews of because, it's not like they're reviewing your work. They're reviewing your family and your life. So, <laughs> so yeah. And so I'm just like, not, I, I don't know. So it's just, it's just been like, it feels like a long road to it actually coming out in English. Yeah. Um, and it, I, I really did not intend for it to come out in English. And there's, you know, probably 30 pages that are like on the cutting room floor from the original series of strips that were on my Patreon that were just a little bit too revealing about stuff that I couldn't allow it to be printed. Um, just a lot more, in depth of how my mother's family joined the Mormon religion and how my father's family did. And then a lot more of uh, material that's just like about like my relationship with my father to this day that was, or back then, which was really bad. And if, if you read Blamo 10, it's like, I have that story at the end with, with me and my dad seeing each other again for the first time in like, you know, 13, 14 years. And that felt like kind of the, end of that book in a way yeah Um, i mean it's really neat because reading reading those two together it definitely like i feel like the blamo 10 story was like trying to resolve a bunch of this and kind of trying to get to a place of um how you can move past yeah I think it did. I mean i'm sorry i no i mean i know what you mean and and it was kind of a Cause that's a real, that's a true story that really did happen in November yeah. last year. And, um, you know, it was, a uh, yeah, it was weird. I was at my brother's wedding and, and my dad was there and I, I just hadn't seen him in so long. And we just went and walked around and talked and, uh, I, I decided to draw it as kind of like a, okay, I'm finished with being mean to this man in my work. You know, yeah. this is kind of the end of that. Because um, I did a lot of mean, mean stories about him. Um, like the lizard laughed. I did that that mini comic, and that was just basically about him. I don't know. At a certain point, it's like you just kind of need to grow up, you know. Stop. Just kind of realize that your parents are human beings. Uh, you know, fuckable and stuff. So. Well, and there's yeah. something I was thinking about with that, um, and it kind of tied into Fonte a bit is um 
kind of finding sympathy in difficult characters and difficult situations. And I think, like, I definitely see that sympathy you have for your dad uh, in the Blamo 10, where um, you're, you're dealing with a lot at once. And, and I wonder how, as a writer, kind of how you look at your characters as kind of more dimensions to them. Um, I don't know. What do you mean? Like in, with, with Fonte Bukowski 3? Yeah, because I, yeah, I feel like with, with Fonte Bukowski 3, like you get, a, you get more sympathetic to Fonte. Uh, oh, that's like you're you're less putting him through the ringer, and yeah. I mean, I mean, he's he's the foil, but he's also like, you kind of see like, he he's he's sincere in his in his wants. He's just a really yes. big fuck up. Yeah, right. It's like you. I, I think it was because of the first book I did, it was just really mean to him. <laughs> uh, the second book, I I don't know. I, I think I made him a little bit more sympathetic. But the with the final book, I wanted to basically show the reader why he is the way he is, like who you know how he became that way. Yeah. Um, and then just like bring it back full around circle, you know, because there's a lot of scenes from, you know, that would have taken place like right before the first book in the last book. Um, just as a good way of like ending that, because I didn't want to do any. I don't want to do any more of those. I just wanted to do three, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is kind of its own like long book like at some point in my life i'd like to collect them as one book and i think it would work really well as one book yep i think so um it, it, yeah no i really enjoyed how you kind of resolved and were able to kind of close it off and, and i'm glad that you're not sticking with fonte as like mm-hmm. the kind of permanent gag character like he's your right you know. He's my Cerebus. Yeah, your Cerebus or your Buddy Bradley <laughs> or whatever. Right. But even Buddy Bradley's done now too. So. Um, Is he done? He's not going to do anymore. I don't think so. I, I yeah, I was talking to Pete about it, and he's kind of like, yeah, I, like I, just, I don't have any buddy stories in me, and I kind of get that. Yeah. And I was part of well, it's like, good to, to recognize that. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to recognize when it's done. Now, you've been living in Columbus for the last couple of years. Um, I yep. guess about two years you did there um, after spending um, a little under a year in White River Junction. Um, yep. and it, it, I'm interested in that. Like, you went from like comics camp to like comics college. <laughs> That's really good, actually. I think I think actually the people of Columbus, Ohio, would love that. That stuck. <laughs> it is a really yeah, it, man. It's like I got spoiled there with all the cool events and all the amazing cartoonists that would come through town, and like just being able to go to that museum and be like, I want to look at all the the Henry strips you have by Carl Anderson, <laughs> and then you know, and then just like sitting in the room and they bring out boxes of, of uh, like original comic strips, you know, that can just touch and <laughs> like study and stuff. It was, man, it was so great. I don't know why more cartoons wouldn't live there. It's not expensive to live there. You know, you get to see all these artists come through town for talks and everything. It's great there. Did you, were you there when Eddie Campbell was there quite a lot? No, I miss Eddie Campbell. Oh, that's too bad. What was he doing there? 
He's working on that uh, that big book he did for IDW about uh, the Goat Getters. That one. Oh. Yeah. I must have been living there. I don't think I knew he was there though. Right, because that book just came out. Yeah, but there was a lot of research. It's, oh, okay. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's basically like you know those like Annie collections. Those yeah. Movies? It's like that size, but it's like seventy-five percent text. Oh, have you read this book yet? I read a bunch um, for the interview, and then I ended up giving it to a friend. Um, oh. I just I'm never gonna read all of it. Um, is it's really well written. Eddie's a really good writer. Uh, it's interesting stuff. Um, I'm, you know that drawing you did of Spurgeon with all the books falling on him? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I felt that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can feel like that too, for sure. Yeah. Sometimes I go, I'm going to get a bunch of books from Fantagraphics and I just email a list of everything I want from them to Eric Reynolds. And I'm like, wow, yes. And then a giant box arrives. And I'm like, I don't <laughs> like, oh, my God, now I have to read all these. Like, what did I just do myself? <laughs> it's very, you know what I mean? Like, if you buy one book at a bookstore or something, like, this is great. I'm going to read this and you can read it. But suddenly it's like when you come back from a show and you've stuck like a pile of books, it takes you forever to actually get get to them. It's so imposing, you know, I have like five probably stacked of books that's like my more recent to read piles yeah. i've just like after two years it just gets filed away um yeah right I'm, I'm and then you, you see it on, on your shelf and you're like i can't read this now it's old you know, read this. <laughs> <laughs> one bad thing is i'll is i'll wait and like well i'm going to interview this person at some point and so yeah. i'll just wait to read it when i interview them and then who knows and then like i hadn't done interviews much in a long while so anyways you were in columbus um and one of the things like i think i was saying i don't know if i was saying while we're recording or before we're recording is how and i think i say this every time we talk is like your work has leaped a bunch um and you're getting so much better and you're always getting better and i I mean that in the non-patronizing way um (laughs) but i'm wondering about that time um studying other people's drawings looking at how people are doing things i mean that's a definitely unique experience in columbus to be able yeah. to go in there and like i want to look at a you know stack of henry strips or whatever i was going to try to post something right here but right you know well yeah i mean that's how i you know i i my partner amy who i'm with now it's like she i met her because she was working at the billy ireland and uh and caitlin mcgur kind of hooked us up um <laughs> And uh, she would, you know, I mean, I remember the first date we ever went on. I was like in the reading room. I sat there all day reading a giant stack of little orphan Annie tear sheets. And then we were just like, hey, you want me to get a coffee? Let's go. You know? Yeah. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's amazing. It's an amazing uh, gift. Uh, But for yourself, like, was there anything kind of looking at this art um, beyond getting a girlfriend? Um, (laughs) creatively speaking um, you know <laughs> looking at how these pages were done um maybe i mean <laughs> i'm sure i retained a lot of stuff but it's hard i can't measure it all you know i feel like the brian bigsby story in oh, yeah. the latest blamo is kind of very informed by that experience there yeah that's probably true 
Um, but I can't, I can't tell you, Robin. I don't know. I don't know where. This, I can't tell you where these genius stories come from. They just appear. No, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's like you know, I, I connect a lot of things. Like if I'm writing a story, I'll it'll usually come from going through notebooks and looking at different ideas for like little strips and just seeing what fits together. Yeah, and like connecting them all. You know. Well, so. that, that was kind of the fun thing of reading the Constant Companion is you actually see these pieces yeah. of different things. And I think there's some stuff about uh, St. Cole in it as well, yeah. maybe. Um, and just seeing those seeds. Um, so, yeah, let's talk a little more about your sketchbook process. Okay. If, um, because I'm presuming you drew a lot more than, uh, what, 200 pages, 150 pages in those oh, two yeah. years? Um, how does that work for you, kind of constantly drawing making notes like how things kind of coalesce into that process or kind of ideas die on the vine. Well, I just like, I mean, I like having a sketchbooks because it's not, there's zero pressure for me in, in a sketchbook. Like I, you know, if I'll be drawing all day a page that I plan on putting in Blamo or, or for a graphic novel or something. And then it's, it just feels so heavy that like I, I have to have a sketchbook that I can just go before I go to bed I'm just going to sit down and draw the corner of this bedroom or I'm just going to draw a goofy comic that could suck and it doesn't matter or anything. And like that really frees me up and I'm able to like put down a lot of stuff that because I'm, I don't have any pressure, I usually can find some things that wind up in uh, my more serious work, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you find um, as you've been going on that you're putting more process into developing those ideas than you may have in the past? Well, it depends on what, what the idea, like, you know, something like, like Fonty Bukowski was like just a total joke, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, but then something in that's going to be in Blamo is like, there's a, it goes through a lot of process. Like I, I think about that stuff so, so much to make sure that it, cause Blamo I take more seriously than like anything else, like everything, because it has to be like, I think of Blamo as like a marker of my improvement as a cartoonist uh, every, every year or so I do it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I take all the stories I put in there have to be the best I can do. And they also have to somehow fit or relate with the other stories that are in there. Um, so yeah, I put so much process into those and that stuff usually starts in a sketchbook too. It, it, I really, the Brian Bixby story I found really interesting and there's some things, some ideas, um, in there that I kind of want to touch on a little more. Um, and one is kind of disconnecting from the world to just do the work. Yeah. Um, not that he was, or he just let the work language. I don't want to give too much in the yeah. story, uh, but there is something there about the disconnect um, and stepping away and how you kind of feel with that, like as like, you know, relatively younger cartoonist um, and kind of have to readjust yourself and kind of stick away from temptation and really focus on, on that angle. Yeah. Well, it's like that interesting thing where, you know, you want to do, if you want to be a cartoonist and you want people to read what you're writing and drawing, but you don't want to be a public figure. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like, that's something that I tackle a lot because I'd rather just 
I don't, you know, I don't even have any, I have Facebook and like Instagram and like even those two things, I'm like, I'm going to get rid of these pretty soon. It's like, you just, I just want to do my, my work and put it out there and I don't, I don't want to have to deal with, you know, like <laughs> being like somebody in the public, I guess. And I think that was something I thought a lot with that character. It's like, he, he never wanted to be famous. Like that character was a, somebody who was drawing for his own pleasure and for his own escape. And then what he was drawing became really big. And then he didn't, you know, it got bigger than he wanted it to, to get. So he just pulled back from like the world at some point, you know? Um, and it, I was basically just like trying to do like a comics equivalent of like JD Salinger or something, you know, mm-hmm. just like, I'm going to have my compound and like fuck everybody, you know? Yeah. And <laughs> in some ways you're kind of stepping back further going from mm-hmm. the, the comics Mecca in, in Columbus and now you're in South Carolina um, yeah. and cartoonists. <laughs> no cartoonists? No, no cartoonists, man. I can't find any. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's weird? There isn't any cartoonists, but in a couple of days, I am going to a Halloween party at Roy Thomas's house. And he, <laughs> he's out here, apparently. <laughs> and he like, has a farm. And I'm just going to go there for his Halloween party and, and look at all of his old marble art that he has. That's crazy. How did you yeah. get Did Spurgeon connect you with that or something? Or. Um, there's, a somebody named Andrew Kunka, who's a, I believe a comics scholar teacher, maybe at the university. And he, he connected me and said, Hey, you should come to Roy Thomas's Halloween party this year. And, uh, so me and Amy got the invite. We're really excited. That'd be awesome. And he lives, yeah. in, he lives in your general proximity. Yeah. He lives a half hour away from us. Oh, wow. Love it. <laughs> I, I, I expect a report back. Oh, I'm going to post some photos. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> Um, I remember uh, a couple years ago I mean you've had a lot of like ghouls and wants and also like a kind of like nostalgia for something you weren't a part of um, like with fanographics in Seattle in the 90s and all this stuff Mm -hmm. and I wonder if like a lot of that sheen um, you've kind of like worked through that and kind of found the cartoonist that you want to be um, yeah, with less dependency on other folks. Yeah. It's true. I don't have a, my, a lot of my romanticism towards uh, like the, the comics industry and comics community is kind of gone at this point. And uh, like, I, I know what kind of artist I want to be and I'm, I just keep working to be that, but I don't, you know, I don't long for any era specifically, you know, not even my own era. Like I, you know, I've never been like a hip cartoonist at all. So I was just kind of did whatever I was doing. I don't know. There was something you said, I think it was in the Cons Companion or it might've been Dirty Tree, um, where you didn't consider yourself a natural, uh, never a natural cartoonist. Oh, I'm not, not at all. A natural artist. I mean, I, God damn, it's like an uphill struggle. It's so hard. Yeah, I wrote, like drawing comics feels like driving drunk. You know, I just have no control. I wait for that. When's that coming? Jeez. You have no control, but you're doing probably a couple of pages a day, a page a day. I know, but I'm not, I'm not like a natural, you know, you look at, so for example, when I was living in Columbus, they had the mad, the mad magazine show. up, mm-hmm. And I'm like walking around looking at that stuff. Like how could anybody be this, this good artist? 
with all that stuff, there's like the uh, they had the original of, of uh, Hard Kurtzman's Mad with the you know the handprint where the hunters are like, sitting in the handprint. Yeah, I just like stared at that forever because it's like so loose, but it's so man. I don't know how to put it. It's just like so controlled. And all this, I mean, it's like how these are real artists. You know, I'm not, I'm not a real artist. I would have never made it if I was back then. Like, they, nobody would have published me at all. I'm very lucky to, to exist right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't yeah. know if I like that. I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, <laughs> but that, that you're allowed to have your opinion. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. It, it's hard to compare yourself to someone working uh, 60, 70 years ago right. uh, using different tools, using different expectations, coming up in commercial illustration. Uh, well, going dude, to it's insane. I mean, look at, like, if I look at the first Fonty Bukowski book, I'm like, this looks insane. Everybody's face is like a Picasso painting. It's all off. It's just craziness. It's so messy. But I didn't know. I mean, you know, I'm still... It's like, I, you know, they say, like, you know, you see... Um, how the universe was formed and it's like you see like clouds of gas and they're, they're swirling together and they're forming planets and stuff that's like me learning how to draw it's like starting from nothing and it's swirling together and starting to take shape something is starting to take shape and form and uh i'm still at that point like i haven't i haven't been able to just like lay down a line and, and do like perfect forms and things you know but I also feel like the Fonte Bukowski stuff, you kind of treat it that way. That's your your gag. You're kind of just like, get it off. Meanwhile, yeah. like you put a lot of work into drawing in the Johnny Appleseed. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call you on your shit. Yeah, yeah. But still, I mean, if I'm, you know, if I haven't drawn for like a week and then I sit down to try and draw, it's like, what? Did I ever know how to draw? What's going on here? I can't do this. Like one eye is three inches above the other eye. <laughs> now the Eugene V. Debs book. Uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, it's another collaboration between myself and Paul Buell. Um, we're doing it with Verso Books, a very good publisher, and we we wanted to do it because he's a, a character who's kind of forgotten from history. You know, he was a socialist who who ran for president from prison and still got over a million votes. Jesus. Uh, yeah, he was he was very I feel like he's somebody who has been tamped down by by time and, and society and stuff because uh, it's just not we don't want any other, you know, any other ideas or something. It's a I don't know. It's very interesting. I think that the time is right for people to rediscover him and to, to talk about him more. So I'm, I'm very happy that we we did this book and it, it looks really good. I, did, I, I, I will admit this one looks pretty good. What, around when did he live? Uh, 1890s to 19... I have to look at it, but he died like in the 1930s, I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, is there anything particular that like attached you to this book? Um, it just seems like... You know, if you do like a Google search for him, there just isn't enough material... It just seemed like the the perfect character to, to talk about these days, you know. You just have another choice, you know. So yeah. I don't know. It it's, just it just seemed like a good thing to do. With the Johnny Appleseed book, um, it seemed like you guys were kind of 
there wasn't a lot of, if I remember right, a lot of resources as far as like, um, yeah, extant uh, sources. Um, yeah, that's true. Well, because it, you know that was all like Paul Buell being such a nerd about Johnny Appleseed his whole life. <laughs> you know, he told me like when he was a boy, he was like obsessed with Johnny Appleseed. So that was like his passion project was getting that book out there. And didn't he like? Is it a lot of stuff was now this is me just trying to remember back there's a lot of stuff like around like different kind of religious movements or the time or not even religious but as much as like uh socialist christians yeah we touch on like the whole burned over district stuff uh like the shakers um, things like that and then you know i mean everything geez everything gets in there it's like uh women's liberations in there and stuff yeah, it's a it's a pretty insane book. It goes all over the place. I'm wondering about working on that book and working on the hypo, uh, and how that kind of preps you for working on your Joseph Smith book of that level of kind of research and understanding of particular points in time. Yeah, they, it's true. Like the hypo was like I could have never. So I wanted to do a book about Joseph Smith for a long time, um, but I feel like yeah, the hypo was like the first. I'm going to try and see if I can dip into this and uh, pull it off. And then Johnny Appleseed was refining that a little bit more. Um, and then in Blamo 10, I did like, this Artemis Ward story, which was like the final, like, okay, I've, now I've got to do it. If I, if I can do this story, then I could, I could do it this whole book. Cause I'm, I'm even gonna, the Joseph Smith book's gonna be like in color and everything. Oh, wow. Uh, so yeah, I just I think it was just like about building my confidence with uh, working within this time period, you know. Um, but yeah, I think now is like the the best time for me to do it. And I'm also wondering about like working this Joseph Smith book about like that kind of um, needing to be a certain comfort level with with the content and like kind of an understanding of how you want to approach it with your own feelings. Yeah. Of, of that, of the Mormonism? Well, I'm, I'm like making a straight story. Like I, this, I pitched it to the publisher was like, I'm, I'm not going to do a book that like a Mormon missionary would hand out. And I'm also not going to do a book that somebody who has, you know, that could, somebody could use against the Mormon church or whatever. Like a South Park type thing. Yeah. 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 I'm not doing that. It's not a joke. I'm just going to do, I'm just going to draw it as events happened. So, if he says that like an angel visited him, I'm going to draw him telling somebody that that happened, but I'm not going to draw the event actually happening to him as if it actually happened. You know, mm-hmm. um, it seems like the the better way to do it instead of just being like, and then, you know, I'm, you know, that's the way that like the Mormons would portray it. It was like, you know, he went down and kneeled in the woods and you see him kneeling and then, you know, and then Jesus Christ and God appeared to him. Like I'm going to have him, telling somebody that that happened and then I can draw it, you know, as he's explaining to somebody what happened to him, I can draw it then just to take the romanticism out of it, you know? And so what kind of era are you looking to cover? Just pretty much him or him and Brigham Young? Um... No, no, <clears throat> I'm just doing his life um, until he dies. You know, I'm, I'm doing, basically it starts at, uh, when he's like a poor, uh, kid like on a farm um basically using his his magic stone in his hat to help poor farmers find lost treasure on their property Mm -hmm. and then that and then going through then him telling his 
his family about his vision that he had in his bedroom and, and just going through the whole process, you know, how the Book of Mormon was uh, written, you know, how, how that looked and how he formed his church. But I'm not doing it with any narration. I'm going to do it um, as if he's like, you know, kind of like uh, like Louis Riel, how that was done. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to do it like a straight comic. So, And it's going to be like 250 pages, which is like longer than anything I've ever done. So for me, that's a lot of work, but for a lot of other cartoonists, it's not that much. Yeah. Well, no, it is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of it's like a 400-page book or whatever. I, I, yeah, that's too much for me. I think that era is kind of done, though. You think so? Way. Yeah, like, I mean, you've got, like, the Tilly Waldens and stuff, they're doing bigger books, but I think, like, a lot of folks, you know, the age of blankets and Habibi is, is kind of over. Yeah. Like, I don't think we're being defined by these giant books. Um, right. I don't know, like, I read yeah. uh, Pete Bagg's firebook on um, Zora Hurston. Oh, yeah. And it's only, like, 70 pages. Yeah, well, that's a good, that's a good size. I think... <laughs> 100 to 120 pages is like a perfect size for a graphic novel. Yeah. Um, and then you can just pack as much in there as you can. I mean, that's my favorite number of uh, pages to work with. But for this one, I mean, I'm like uh, 60 pages into this book already. Um, yeah. Now you've been coloring. Uh, I saw you're like posting coloring of like your Briggs stuff. Uh, yep. And is part of that like kind of trying to like, is some of that going into the process for coloring the Joseph Smith book? Uh, not really. I mean, I'm just using the same coloring process I always use, but that I started doing that to try to get able to talk about Claire Briggs a little bit more because I really want someone like Josh O'Neill or somebody to do a collection of Claire Briggs's work because it's been, well, what was the last, I mean, the last book was probably like a Dover edition from the seventies. And before that it was like 1930. Well, no, didn't, uh, Oh, yeah, they did Hey, O, Skin, A. Yeah, from Drawn and Quarterly. Yeah, but that's not, I don't know. I want like a, you know, like I want like a big collection of his work. I just feel like it's, somebody should do that. I understand that like me and three other people will buy it, but. It's like you and I from Bernetti. Yeah, exactly. Me, Mark Newgarden, <laughs> Simon, I don't know. A few Facebook buddies will buy it. That's it. <laughs> I mean, that's so like. The history is so important to you, and I think that's interesting. Yeah. Like, and, and part of the reason I'm wondering about that is because, like, when you're doing like the Kurt Briggs stuff is like 1920, so I'm just seeing if like you're kind of working on how do you kind of capture that kind of era within color and just like how that kind of informs because I mean, yeah. you are doing a color book in the 19th century. So. Yeah, well, everything helps. I mean, I stopped posting those color ones when Joe Matt started critiquing my coloring. I was like, all right, enough of this. I'm going to have Joe Matt give me pointers every day. <laughs> all I can uh, think is, like, the last time he probably did coloring was, like, well, there's that little <laughs> painting he did for you. And then, like, maybe yeah. him doing, like, Grendel, Grendel Batman with that brush. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fucking like 35 years ago. Yeah. This is his last paid work. Oh, God. I'm sorry, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> Yeah, but you're right. Like, I love old, like, comics history is, like, really important to me. Like, I love old uh, artists. Like, I'm, I get really inspired by that stuff. And I like the idea that, like, you're, you know, as a cartoonist, you're working within this tradition, uh, you know, this art form you're, like, a part of. And, 
you know, like I really value that a lot. And I remember I, you remember that like Will Elder book that came out that was like the mad playboy of art. Yeah. That book came out in like the early two thousands. Yeah. And I was like, man, they got to reprint this book with like a new design because this design stinks. And I, I wrote to Gary Groth, like, you should really, like, have Keely McCarthy, like, redesign this book or, like, Jacob Covey or something. And he's like, nobody would buy it. <laughs> he's like, I would do it, but this this is how many we'd have to print. This is how much money that would cost. And we'd probably sell, like, 100 copies. It's like, it's not worth it. And that that realization was, like, just, you know, ice water to my face. It was just like, so, so nobody cares about Will Elder anymore? And I guess not. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, I wonder. Well, because I, I can't see those Yo collections really doing amazing gangbusters, but I think part of it's also they're all public domain. So yeah, I feel I feel bad about that. Craig Yo unfriended me on Facebook, and I feel really bad about it. Yeah. Because I, I gotta tell you, man, honestly, like I don't have anything really against Craig Yo. I know a lot of people don't like him and stuff, but like you know, he posts a lot of really cool stuff. And, you know, when, when like that article came up on faith on the comics journal about his stuff, you know, my friend wrote it. So I just like gave my friend a thumbs up on it. Like, Oh, that's cool. You're and Craig, Yo saw that. And he like unfriended me. Yeah. I got, I got unfriended too, but he, then he friended me. Yeah. I should, I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I know where people are coming from with his, with his books and all that stuff. I, I totally understand all that. But at the same time, like, I don't really have any, I don't even have anything personally against Craig, Yo. Like, you know, he's always been really nice to me. It's so. people should pick their battles, and yeah, you know, I've got complicated viewpoints on it that I'll share another time. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Um, so hunkering down, you're in the South Carolina. Um, yeah. you're able to focus on comics full time. Um, yeah. and do you treat it like a day job? kind of get it yeah. in the day like the well day. i have to because i'm sorry i keep cutting you off I'm no sorry go ahead I, I, you, people are here to hear you not me um so you know my girlfriend goes to work at eight o'clock every morning so i get up we have breakfast together she goes to work and then i have to use this time to get my own work done because she gets home around five five thirty and then you know we want to spend time together so i i really shouldn't be you know, locked away in my little studio here working. I, I should be hanging out with her and stuff. So I, I have like a little time allotted now where I used to, when I lived in Columbus, I would just be up till 2 a.m. working. And, you know, then I wake up at, you know, like, uh, I don't know, like 1130 in the morning and draw then. And I think like, I was just like all day long. Um, I would just be working. And now it's like I have to have some kind of a structure to it. So in a way that's been really helpful and I think um, way, way healthier for me as a human being to have that. Was it in Columbus or Denver where you had that really depressing looking apartment that you posted a photo of? <laughs> drawing it. You did a drawing of it, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> probably Denver. <laughs> I lived in some pretty grim places in Denver. I had one apartment and I just lived in the same apartment in Columbus, but it was, it was pretty, uh, pretty comfortable in there. It was pretty cozy. Okay. Uh, yeah, Denver was really bad. And then when I was in White River Junction, I lived in that hotel that's like haunted. Yeah, the Coolidge. Yeah, man. Everybody's got stories about that place. I've only it's... been in the bar. Um... That bar is closed, man. I When I was living there, I was like, isn't there a bar to go to? There used to be one. 
well, that's great. So what do they all do now? Do they just like drink in the basement of the school or? Yeah, they just go drink in their in their rooms and their houses and stuff. That's what I did. I would just walk over to the grocery store, get a bottle of wine, and then sit in my hotel room on that army cot of a bed and drink. Um, speaking of community, one thing that I wanted to touch on that we didn't yet, and I think it was with One Dirty Tree where you got feedback from your peers on oh. it. And I think uh, Leslie Stein said she hated it. Yeah, she did. She hated it. Well, so when I was, like I told you, I was like editing it together, trying to find a structure for it. So it had a couple other forms before it arrived at where it is now. And I had sent uh, one of those versions to Leslie Stein and she did not like it. I can't remember. She she had written a bunch of text messages to me about how I was really, I don't know. I can't remember. She just thought I came off really shitty and stuff. And the book didn't work and all this stuff. I don't know. It was, yeah, it just didn't have a structure really. And so I, I took that uh, to heart and like really worked on it. And Dan Stafford as well was another person who like read it and did not like it. So, yeah, that's what friends are for. Do you open yourself up to criticism very much like that? Oh, I can, I mean, I can take it. If it's like friends and I, I know they're going to be honest with me and stuff, I can take it. Yeah. If I don't know you, then I'm like, hey, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but but I, you... I trust like Leslie's actually a really good writer. Yeah, and has really good taste. So if she tells you something's wrong, because I, you know, I've, I've had long conversations with her about a lot of uh, other cartoonists, and she's always right on about somebody's work in a way that I'd never thought about. Um, and I really like that. And Tom Spurgeon's the same man. If you if you talk to Tom Spurgeon, he always knows exactly what the problem is with somebody's work. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, you know, you'll be like, I can't put my finger on it. But I, I don't really know if I get this and he'll tell you, he'll nail it right away. And you're like, God damn it. You did it. <laughs> so I, I also really missed that guy. I and mean, that was great living in Columbus and getting to hang out with him because he is really wise. You guys, yeah, the, the, the relationship the, between you two was fun to watch on online as uh, you're moving <laughs> in there. <laughs> when I lived in his house. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> How long were you his, uh, his lodger for? Oh, I was there for one month. I could not get out fast enough. He he would write, because <laughs> we'd be living, I'd be in his guest room. I could see him at his computer from my doorway. And then he'd be like writing shit about me. And I'm like, hey, dude, I'm right here. <laughs> like, if you have something to ask me, like, I can hear you. I can hear you. Like, I can hear him typing away on his computer. And he's writing to me about how I'm not talking to him or something. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that book. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, no one needs that. Uh, thank you, Noah, for taking the time with me today. Um, of course. To chat. Uh, it's always good to hear from you. And as I always say, like, I love seeing kind of where your work is going and where it's progressing. And I think um, I'm really excited about the Joseph Smith book. Thank you. I'm giving it my all. It's going to be the best thing I can do. Nice. Uh, reminder, folks, you can get One Dirty Tree, Blamo, Constant Companion, Fonte Bukowski, all in stores, as well as Eugene V. Debs in the new yeah. year. Go to spinhalf.com and get everything from them. There we go. Support Mr. Porcelino. Um, you can get a lot of good stuff from him. Yep. Um, in fact, he's probably the best source online for... Uh, small press stuff right now. So. Yeah. yeah. Yep. 
I know I got a bad reputation And it isn't just talk, talk, talk If I could only give you everything You know I haven't got Do you want me now? Do you want me now?